I think we're going to see in the future that there is a line blurred between fiction writing and nonfiction writing in that people who are good at fiction are going to be writing nonfiction too, and it's already happen, happening. I mean, you look at Annie Dillard and people like that who are very good essay writers, and yet they can also write fiction. The creative essay, the creative nonfiction essay is such a new, wonderful genre. I mean, they think that they've discovered it, and we know that people have been writing them for years, but they're popular now. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And I'm Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other miscellaneous writing stuff that we feel like talking about. Today on the podcast, we have Joan Cooper. She's a local author who has penned the Lilac Hill series. The first in the series was Finding Home at Lilac Hill, which was soon followed by Return to Lilac Hill. And I believe there's going to be a third installment coming out soon. Joan is also an English teacher at James M. Bennett High School, and she is a sponsor and promoter of the Brown Box Theater Project, which offers free Shakespeare every fall to the Delmarva Peninsula. So welcome to the podcast, Joan. Thank you. And thank you for being here on this uh, lovely, uh, blustery, rainy day that we've got going on. Tornadoes couldn't keep me away. Absolutely not. One of the first things, I'm sorry, if I could just jump right in. The Brown Box Theater is here. They're coming. They're, they have another performance coming up. I think the day this comes out. March oh, 10th, good. March. Yes. They have a series that they call Boxer Shorts. Uh, they bring their company back from Boston every year this time. And they will be three short plays. This year, um, they're featuring Hispanic writers. And I actually am taking my Step Up Kids, which is an after-school program, um, through three workshops, and then they get to attend the play in Ocean City at the Ocean City Arts Council, which is a beautiful building. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So how did you get involved with Brown Boxes? Was it from being a, the English teacher at, at Bennett? Well, I know you know. I moved here 10 years ago to the Eastern Shore. And the thing I miss most about living in the city was the utter lack of plays and book signings and different cultural events that I was used to attending. And uh, so I started to look around. And one of the first contacts I made uh, was Kyler Tostin, who is the director and the founding member of Brown Box Theater. And he was willing to take this on and give us all kinds of breaks and work with us so that we could bring live Shakespeare to an entire uh, school instead of just a few kids like you would normally do with a field trip. So over the years, I think next year will be our sixth year, every single student in the school is able to attend a live Shakespeare performance. So it's, it's a great treat, and now the kids expect it every year. Fantastic. Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about, um, having, you know, being familiar with, uh, the Lilac Hill series is you really love strong women as focal point, uh, characters in your book. And I just wanted to ask you a little bit about, is that, you know, one of those things where, you know, you, is it, you know, the way you see yourself, is it kind of some, one of those situations where a writer writes about the kind of person they want to be or women that you, 
new or how do you, how do you kind of arrive at those, at those characters? It's interesting to get that question right now as we finish Macbeth. We're reading Macbeth in the classroom now, and they always talk about Lady Macbeth and how nuanced she is. I do think part of it is a reaction to the lack of really strong female characters. And I think we've seen a resurgence, particularly in movies recently, that all of a sudden the older, in particular, strong woman character is coming into being. The two women in this particular book series who are at the core of it Um, I actually patterned off of two older ladies who I knew, and I just basically wrote them into a new life so that um, Sarah might be in her her middle 20s in this book. But I already know where she's going as an older lady, and that older lady stood on her own. She was a very independent person. So, and they're very ordinary people. They also have troubles. They have children. They, you know, battle with depression or a husband that slips out the back door, (laughs) like happens in this particular book. Sure. And the idea is that not everybody crumbles. You know, it's not all whine about my bad life. It's what can I do with what I have? When you um, set out to do this, it was inspired by these two women or were you already working on something and they became characters? Like how to, this is actually something I'm dealing with in my own in my own writing recently, I, I've just I've decided that I'm going to write about this person, um, but and that's what I decided I'm going to I'm going to write about this person. Whether it becomes a novel or not is is secondary to that. Or was it the other way around, where you're like I'm, I want to write? I know kind of the narrative arc I have in mind, and then these people leap in, and they're like, and you're like, oh, those are my characters. Thank you for showing up. I just had this conversation with creative writing this week, exactly this week. Everybody has a different approach to writing. Um, I did have these two particular old ladies who were in this farmhouse in West Virginia in my head for a long time. I knew them for quite a few years, uh, different trips there. But in the end, it was the setting that gave me the story. And the setting I kept going back to. And then from the setting, the characters took over. So, and and it's interesting because other stories I've written, um, the third book that I would like to put out, the story arc was there and I knew exactly where it was going. So I think every opportunity presents itself in a different way. I have another that I've worked on as a short story, started off with a conversation and the characters grew from that. And what I try to teach them in creative writing is, Whatever way that story shows up to you, take advantage of it, scribble it down. You can always rework later, but sometimes when it's gone, it's gone. (laughs) I think that's one of the things I struggle with, with fiction as a predominantly nonfiction writer is I'll have this like idea and it's nothing more than just, just a very small thing. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to write that. And I sit down and I'm like, but I don't know where it's going. I don't have anything more than that. And then the nonfiction part of me is like, well, you can't take a creative license. You have to, you know, and if they're going to be driving a particular car, I have to, I find myself doing all this back research. Like, did that car exist? You know? And so I just, I find myself not really freeing up to do being free enough to, to do that process, I guess. That's very funny. Only because I, I, 
even in my life as a reporter, I totally don't do that. Like, I will write the story and then I'll check my notes <laughs> to make sure that what I've written kind of matches up with what I wrote down. I, I think that it's important. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to take license and you don't want to be a liar. But I, I mean, one thing that you learned that, that I learned working under under deadlines is let's get it done. Mm-hmm. And then if we don't if we don't know, we can take it out. If we can't find out what the real truth is, then we can take it out. But getting it down and getting it in is has always been the most important to me because when you when you have the when you when you pick up on that flow when you're when you're ready to write I always I always say it's like throwing That's so up. true. You think about it, you know when you you know when you I know when I'm about to write just like I know when I'm about to throw up. It's been <laughs> days I've been walking around saying, "Yeah, not yet." Not yet. And then I'm <laughs> like, "Okay, pretty soon, okay. I better put myself in a in a position where I'm, you know, near a bathroom and then when it and when it's ready to come it's going to come and you you want to be there to take advantage of it and then as as joan was saying go back and deal with whether or not he could have been driving a studebaker or you know if he right. if he had you that have to do clean up right that's i think, I think i'm just i think i'm just lazy i think when in nonfiction <laughs> the, st- the story arc is already told you just have to i just have to go back and you know do something different that sometimes i think it's mostly just maybe i'm just lazy about it you know and i'm you know, I don't know. Well, well, it is important to learn to take advantage. Right. Um, Absolutely. I, when we were coming up here today, I was, I had all of my journals in hand and then it's raining like crazy. So I didn't bring them from the car. But what I've been teaching the students is this journal is like gold. If you can just throw it down on a page, whether it's a drawing or an outline or just a few words, you could go back to it later and turn it into something different. And the other thing, which is what you've just touched on, I think we're going to see in the future that there is a line blurred between fiction writing and nonfiction writing in that people who are good at fiction are going to be writing nonfiction too. And it's already happen, happening. I mean, you look at Annie Dillard and people like that who are very good essay writers, and yet they can also write fiction. And, Tom Wolf. I mean, Tom Wolf. Oh, uh, he yeah. jumped back and forth his entire career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the um, the creative essay, the creative nonfiction essay, is such a new, wonderful genre. I mean, they think that they've discovered it, and we know that people have been writing them for years, but they're popular now. So yeah, there's a readership. There's not just a writership. There's always been a yes. writership, but now <laughs> now there's a readership as well, which helps. Yeah, and it's good to teach students that they can jump back and forth because I forever have people who have segmented themselves and said, I'm a poet, and that's all they want to be because they're afraid to break out of that little. Poor poor, poor poet things. I always tell them I write plenty of poetry, and it's all bad. Oh, I used to write the terrible poetry. One of the things (laughs) I used to find was a good exercise. I mean, I know I just sat here and said I'm terrible and lazy, but one of the things, like, you know, anytime you're sort of in one vein, you know, if you're writing nonfiction, at a certain point you sort of just get stymied. You know, there's at a certain point maybe there's a – you can't – the creative part of it kind of maybe gets a little bit lost, so then you kind of – that's usually when I jump over and I like, you know, doodle in the fiction project for a minute and kind of let my brain kind of run for a minute. And mm-hmm. then when my brain is exhausted, like, yeah, we're out of ideas now, then I can kind of go back <laughs> to the nonfiction right. project and pick that up. So I kind of use it to try to like, like you were saying, like, don't pin yourself down to one thing. You might not be good at all those things, no. but try them and like your let your brain as a muscle to exercise and get stronger with those different and that's things what's that you important. do. It's that repetition and, and to be regular with, the exercise 
of actually writing. There was also a study that came out very recently about handwriting, and I'm working with this after-school program uh, called Step Up and with a program called Write Brain Books. And when I first saw it, I thought, uh, I just don't know. I mean, they're illustrated already for you. All you have to do is plug in the words. But the study jives with it in that actually physically writing in your own handwriting teaches you so much more. And that's why I try to get a journal into the hands of every student that I have for creative writing and beyond. Right. We do a lot in English class, too, because it actually physically scripting it out is such a great exercise. I would agree. I just would like to know what I wrote when I go back to read it. <laughs> That's difficult. I have several notebooks, and, and, you, and you, you kid yourself. No, I kid myself where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll just, you know, my, my set, when, I, when I sit down to type it, and when I sit down, I'm like, I'd rather, I'd rather make it up again than have to type it. <laughs> but um, there is a great story by Amy Tan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a short story I read, and... Um, the the point of the story is not the point of the point of my story is not the point of her story. But in the story, one of the throwaway lines was how important it was to handwrite everything um, because you had to take more care. And they're talking about you know using Chinese characters and the pen having to load the pen and having to um, and having to draw the characters out or, or write the words made you more choosy than you would be if you were just typing. And this is back. This is a typewriter type story. You know, typewriters were too easy because the, all the words all happened at once, and you didn't have to choose very carefully because you could just write another one. But when you're when you're handwriting, there's something a little bit more personal about that. Um, it's romantic. I, I as I said, <laughs> I've, I've tried it a couple times, and I have I have plenty of mediocre story. And that's what the problem is. I mean, all my writing is mediocre. But when you look at it, <laughs> when you look at it, and you're like, oh, that is so mediocre. It's not. It's not worth. It's not worth going back to so at least at least on the at least on the digital end if i can fix it i can start by fixing it instead of start by retyping it and then figuring out whether or not i have to fix it well i've just revisited some of the books that i've written by hand and they were products of like boredom and long car trips or like when we were moving here we came every weekend and my husband always drove so i wrote the entire time and what struck me was how different they are in what I wrote versus what I typed. And it's I'm glad that I still have that because we do have a tendency with the uh, computer to just overwrite everything. I have a good friend who just overwrote a story that she's been working on for years and saved the wrong version. Oh, so you know, <laughs> I'm a big one for backing up everything. But um, that's the danger. No. Well, that's, I have I have on my computer. I have draft one, draft yes. two, draft three. When I start mm-hmm. again, I copy it and I start the new draft. Is the new draft picks up where the old draft left off? But that way, if I go back and I fix something and it's better, that's fine. But if I go back and you know how you get you edit yourself, you're like, oh, I could do this, and then you're like, no. Not I had only, it right the first time. I was yeah. right, the, or I was writer anyway. The first <laughs> I was gooder time. the gooder, first time. I was better. <laughs> But I have a question for you, and it's, this just sort of popped into my head. You know, when so you have these creative writing students that you're teaching, and you're teaching them, you know, the process, the art, the form, yes. the, the all these pieces. Do you ever stand in front of your students and give them a piece of advice that you're like, 
oh, I should really take that advice myself, you know? And do you ever find yourself telling no. them something that you're like, yeah. man, I, I should sort of, eh, I should sort of take my own advice there. Well, particularly <laughs> with this third Lilac Hill book, uh, I took it to my critique group and um, one of my more critical critics <laughs> said, there are too many characters in this book. And I usually start kids off saying, think trios. You know, I, I also do beating. And in beating, trios are the key. You know, everything in threes is better. Well, characters are like that, too. So I know you have a main character, but usually they bounce off two other people. Ron, well, Hermione, and Harry. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I have a tendency, particularly you have Lilac Hill. You have Sarah and her sister, and that kind of worked well. But then the next one, you introduced a few more characters and solved a few more problems. And the third one, I want to come back 20 years later. And now all of a sudden, you have populated a town. So how do you do that without turning into a soap opera? So yes, there there are some times that I, I um, rail against taking my own advice. And so as you as you get to work on that book, what are what are what are some of the tactics you take? Like, are do you? I don't want. I don't mean in, in the in the mm -hmm. in the text, but like mentally, do you mentally kill people off or mentally say, you know, what, someone <laughs> else? Like that's a cool line. That's a cool approach. It's going to have to follow someone else. Like like when they're adapting a, a book for for a, a, a movie, and they're like, yeah, you, those three characters all go to him, and he's just going to pick up those aspects. It's so funny that you're asking this question because I have a very favorite character from the second book who is in the third book, and I realize that, and I can't give this away, but he's got to go. He has to die, and it's very dramatic. But I also had to limit how many ribbons. I'm, I'm thinking of them not so much as arcs, but they're story ribbons. Right. And they have to keep touching, almost like a braid, mm -hmm. each other. I laid it out. We have a big double closet with a glass door. And I taped up all these cards. I know you love Scrivener. I know. But, um, <laughs> I taped up all these cards and color-coded them to make sure that I didn't have those darlings that I was keeping in that they always say you should kill. Right. Kill your babies. And that's where I saw that this particular character had to go. That he had, there was a reason he was in it, but he had to end at a certain point. And that was a hard one. That was a really difficult one to write. But it was necessary. That and limiting and pulling out a storyline. I had a really nice storyline. It might be another book sometime. But it just didn't. It just didn't fit in. It. It was. Yeah. It was an outlier. We were teaching math. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't you say that you actually you and I think maybe this was in the third book. I think you were telling me about how you there was a, a particular place or a building or something, and then when you went back to Baltimore, it, in your mind uh, it was a big and it was on a hill or something, and then when you went back there, you were like, oh, this is this is not accurate at all. No, that's what we were talking about, this blend from fiction to nonfiction. If you give your readers landmarks that they might know, you better make sure that they're really there. Right. And uh, yeah, there's a factory that I put in. It's actually sort of in the center of a little neighborhood, a cute little neighborhood in East Baltimore, and in my mind, child mind, it's up on this really high hill, and it was all glass. It was the old um, can company. And uh, I ac actually snaked through the city right before the unrest that we had last year there. 
and snaked through the city and came up on it from the same direction that my character would have been looking up the hill at it and realized that there's no hill there. It is a hilly little area, but that particular building is not up there. And I, I just stood there and looked at it and thought, what was I thinking? You yeah. know, so that has to change. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think. Does it have to change because you want it to be recognized or because it's bothering you that you were wrong or. I think because it's recognizable and um, I have enough like they're almost like totems. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be able to depend on something. Wheeling, West Virginia. Right. Is mentioned. It's it's not a setting at all, but it's the city. It's a the larger city farther away. Right. And um, so it has to be geographically correct. There is no Lilac Hill. I know exactly where that hill is. I decided not to name it. Anybody who really knows West Virginia knows approximately where it is. I mean, there's a river that runs through the little town. You could probably recognize it, but I didn't want it to be so identifiable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I certainly was not going to put wheeling someplace odd. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to make it real enough. Just a, just a little bit of grounding. There's, there's, there's plenty of, when you're, when you're, when you're writing in fiction, there's all, there's already plenty of stuff to make up. You don't have to make up the canvas, right? The artist buys the canvas and then puts stuff (laughs) on it, right? If there's there's a canvas handy, there's nothing wrong with using it. Right. Absolutely. You know, kind of going back to, you know, when you were a kid seeing this building up on high, it kind of remembers, it kind of reminds me of like when I was a kid, you know, when you're in elementary school, like the building seems like the hallway, it just seems cavernous. And then, you know, I went back, you know, in my twenties for some reason I had to drop something off or, or for some reason I was in there and I, and I was like, man, it's like all very tiny. So I don't know if it's the writer perception, I think sometimes has to shift with, with that life shift of a perception i think so so. i was just uh back in my old high school and my the art room which was like magic room we walked in there kind of snuck in there we were there for an event and i stood in there and thought this is really gone like there it's almost as if it never existed right oh and i was in the convent i was taught um uh um, nuns by nuns. And, um, I went into the convent because I know someone who works there and it's all offices now. And they had been the nun cells. And I put that in another little piece that I wrote and I thought that's gone too. You know, so you are recreating something in the past that was very real to you and you're right. Perspective is everything. Yeah. I think that and it seemed to me that when you were when we were approaching um, putting Lilac Hill together, that landscape and um, home and a and a place of home and what that kind of means to the characters was sort of really kind of ingrained. I mean, everything from you know some of the initial artwork that you brought me, it was like it's this place, like this is the house, this is. There are lilac bushes here, here, and here, and this is the mailbox. It was like it was a very clear sense. Yep. I think sometimes, you know, at least I think for some writers, having that very clear sense of place and setting allows you to kind of really, you know, get get going yeah, with it. The setting is definitely almost its own character right. uh, in this particular book. I have another one that I sent you today that right. um, <laughs> it ha- it has to come out because it's like a little monkey on my back going, publish me and 
leave me alone and stop rewriting me. Yeah, sometimes you got to just get them out so they leave you alone. I'm sorry. I just, I've been, to say I've mentor writers isn't, isn't a hundred percent correct, but we do have where I, where I work during my day job. Um, I'm, I'm an editor and we have people that, that write for us. Um, and They'll send us things, and I had one one woman who was writing, and she sent one, sent in the story, and she's like, you know, it's not that great. I'm like, they can't all be, you know. That's the the, right. the thing. The thing with every piece of work cannot be your best. It's not possible. I mean, there are, I'm sure there are geniuses who get better and better, but even <laughs> either, but you know, everybody's going to have an off day. And when you're writing, and that's what I told her, I said, when you're writing all the time, it's not always going to be good. Like, you have to learn to appreciate, hey. This is good. I'm going to take some time with it. And you have to learn to separate the stuff that's going to be better from the stuff that has peaked. And, you know, I can add all of the adverbs I want. This is not going to be any better than it is <laughs> Please right don't now. do that. Yeah, I think, was it, um, yeah, Stephen, he knows exactly what I'm going. Like, one of my favorite, I swear, it's one of my favorite things to do is, uh, one of my favorite uh, quotes, actually, is, uh, uh, Stephen King, and he did the, um, on, on, on writing, writing the memoir of the craft. And mm-hmm. there was a line in there that was, uh, the road to hell is paved with adverbs. And after that, um, after I read that, cause I, every so often I like, I pick that up and reread it. Cause I feel like that, um, that, that book really has a lot of good nuggets in it. Sometimes when I'm feeling lost and I don't know what to do and I feel like I should just never write again, I'm like, I'm going to try that again. And he's like, yeah, it's going to be crap, but you're going to be fine. You know? And, (laughs) and I'm like, okay, fine. I'm with you. But, uh, you know, he said the road to hell is paved with adverbs. And I remember after I read that line, I went and was working on something and I was like, and I used, and it was a truly was in there. And I was like, and that comes out, you know, I was like, (laughs) just started nixing them. But, uh, yeah. I have a truly joke. My I spell truly T R U E L backspace backspace L Y. That's how I type it every time. Okay. <laughs> I I I think that um, at this point I'm just I'm abandoning all hope for for adverbs at this point. I'm just oh, yeah. I'm I'm walking away from them. And the other day I wanted to do something and I was like absolutely something and I was like. And then I found myself, it was just a casual like email or text message. And I was like, and I wrote, and I used absolutely brilliant or absolutely whatever. And I remember stopping and then I was like, Stephanie, it is a text message. No one is going to be reading these, this email, this text. It's, this is right. not a manuscript. It's just a text to your sister. Well, you, I think can deal the with adverb has turned into almost a, like a sarcastic tense. We have a tendency to use them to go further when we don't need to at all. And it's almost like a tone word to throw out there. Mark Twain also said that if you use an adverb, you just haven't found the correct verb. This is true. (laughs) I also like the Mark Twain quote, something about the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and lightning bug. I'm sure I'm butchering it, um, but he can't see me. So, but yeah, something about that. So it's probably one of my favorite ones. So (laughs) I want to jump over to uh, to to once you get the book out, getting it into people's hands. One of the things we like to talk about as we get ready to to pull into the station here is how how you market your books. What what do you do to to get in front of people? To get it in front of people, you know. I think that I think that it's kind of a lie that you know you we do write. I'm sorry. One may I don't write for myself. I want everybody to read everything I write. So I, I won't, I won't, I won't have any, any pretense at all, but I find it hard to, I know that if you couldn't get published, if you couldn't get this book out, I'm not saying you wouldn't write it anyway, but having written it and having finished it, you want to go through the awful process of getting it proofed and out and done. 
Um, and so would you like to talk a little bit about what you did with your first book and what you learned when you put out your second well, book? First off, Stephanie's been really wonderful. Saltwater Media is a, a great place oh, to sponsor publish. Sponsor the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're, you're very good with working with people. Oh, and, thank you. And going through a lot of changes because right. it, that is a big step. And I don't think that can be minimized between having it on your computer or printing it out for yourself and maybe giving it to a few beta readers is a huge step between that and actually putting it out there for somebody that you have never met right. to read it. So you do the, the readings and, and we've done a few, um, you know, street events in Berlin and Berlin is a wonderful place to start out too with sponsoring the arts the way they do. Yeah. We had a big book event at the Fiddler's convention and that was, that was, yeah, that was tons fun, of fun. And it's, it, yeah, it's Get getting yourself out there. Most of it is networking. Um, I've put a lot of time into the website. It's uh, it looks silly, but it's Joan D com, And, uh, just putting it out there and pushing it and having a Facebook page and just and opening it up that anybody can see it, you know, trying Twitter and and you go to a pushing. lot of book events. You go to a lot of book festivals. I mean, you, to I mean and you and you do some traveling to, for those. I mean, oh, you yeah. do them Baltimore, D.C. You do them mm -hmm. all over. Yeah. Um, Gaithersburg. The Baltimore Book Festival is a great place to be. I would suggest if somebody wanted to, you know, start the start running right from the start get yourself some speaking engagements that's where you sell books right. if you can speak and read um teach i've, I've taught uh, adult workshops and then people want to see what in the world have you put out right mm. you know and they're interested um eastern shore writers association has been a good outlet uh and we have just started our own little chapter of the maryland writers association yes, here in we berlin lower eastern shore chapter of the maryland writers association yeah, a nice small vibrant group yeah we're 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 a, we're a motley crew vibranter than we are small <laughs> i think <laughs> but growing so many but growing people we do and uh, i think the, the 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 wine and beer help definitely yeah wine i mean that's why beer, i show up for it. <laughs> <laughs> no but i to actually like really get your book out it would have to be a full-time job. I have a very good friend, Amy Schisler. She works every Wednesday. And this is, you know, stay-at-home mom, but she writes um, children's literature and, um, and fiction books, mysteries. Every Wednesday is her marketing day. And that's, if, if I was doing this full-time, that's what I would have to do. You, you have to push, 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 and get completely out of your comfort zone. And, you know, put yourself out there. I would suggest, too, once you're established, not to go with a great big group, but put yourself um, into a book signing, put yourself, you know, by yourself in an event. And I think that would be very successful. And really, we need to get agents. And maybe that's a job for our little group. Maybe, maybe. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not on that committee. <laughs> I couldn't be less interested in being on that committee. I don't know. I remember one time I, I approached an agent with, with something that I was working on. And I remember I, the, the answer I got was, well, if you ever write anything not about the Eastern Shore, give me a call. Right. And I was like, okay, so if I'm ever not doing the work I'm doing, Which then is just I a bad match. You... Yeah, the, it, and, was, and it was definitely I, yeah. a bad match. Yeah, but I, I do feel like there is a match out there. Yeah, there is a match out there. And 
I, I don't know. Now, today with ebooks, we've done pretty well with the ebook. Mm-hmm. Um, the trick there is to get really good reviews. And, um, and to, I mean, sometimes you might have to offer your book at a lower price or offer it for free and say, I want a review from you. Right, yeah. but I, I think I think the most important thing that that you were saying is the making the commitment to do a little bit of marketing, which can feel gross. Um, I think I think is I think is critical. I've been I've been mm-hmm. doing some more social stuff. I, I do it for for beer anyway, so it's a little bit easier for me. I, I haven't been I haven't been pushing my book, but I've been you know I, I've decided that rather than try to write in the morning and then just be frustrated that I didn't spend that hour and a half writing. I spend an hour and a half doing social stuff, and then right. once I get to the office, I'm fortunate enough I have an office where I'm supposed to come and write. So, you know, now that I'm doing that regularly, that's helping me write in the mm-hmm. afternoon better. Um, but yes, yeah, spending every morning doing a little bit of social stuff is, is I think, if you can't if you can't do it one day, you can at least do it a couple times a week and just say, just commit commit to I'm going to do this social thing, you know, every Tuesday morning. At, six or, or, or spend Sunday afternoon setting up your posts for the week, but, but commit to spending the time. That makes a lot of sense. I, like mm-hmm. I said, I don't do it for myself. It didn't occur to me until you just said it now, but it, it, it makes perfect sense. And I would have to say, I mean, I haven't sold a ton of books, but when people talk to me about the book or when I get, um, an email or I've received a few handwritten notes and they're just wonderful it is gratifying. I'm glad I took the chance to do it. Um, I don't so much get questions about the book, but I get when is the next book coming out? Or, you know, this was so real. I could really picture this. You got this right. I know where this is. Right. And a right. lot of guessing. And it's a lot of fun. You know, you must have known these women, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, we were talking creative writing the other day because I, I was encouraging them to stalk people. And... Um, because I wanted them to like, you know, do a character and collect some details and whatnot. And we talked about how close you can come, like to put your family into something like that. And we were backing off a little bit. And I would have to say after exposure like this, my sister called me and said, um, is her sister me? (laughs) And (laughs) no, you are not that person because she's not a particularly nice person. <laughs> so yeah, you have to kind of be careful how close you actually pull your characters from. And that is a very valuable lesson. Yeah, but the feedback is great. It is. That's fantastic. Okay, well, we are going to call it a day for this time. Thank you so much for joining us, Joan. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry. I, I, we just have a couple more minutes, so I'm going to ask real quick. Do you have a plan for the third book? I do. Um, a character in uh, Return to Lilac Hill, which is a set, it's really a collection of short stories, but it works together as a novel. Uh, one of the characters must leave home at the end of the book. His name is Tony, and at that point, he is 17 years old. And in order to get out of the situation that there's just rumors and it's, it's just a terrible situation, he leaves. 20 years later, I have him come back. And that's where it starts from. There are people he's left behind, um, kind of some threads that were a little loose. And then I introduce 
two other characters who are very important. Of course, their lives will collide with his. Mm. And um, he thinks he's coming back to help the community, and the community doesn't quite see it that way. So it's a classic conflict story. Do you have a, a, a date in mind? A season, a year? A, a lot of pressure. Pro- spring-ish. Um, I have another spring seventeen or spring sixteen. Springish is like sixteen, sixty days. There you go. No, Genevieve's Reach, which has been bothering me, that's a little monkey on my back. It's called the Haunting of Genevieve's Reach, and it has been done for a year, and I keep twitter dithering around with it. So we need to let it go and do its own thing. And that one has a bit of the paranormal in it, Uh, not completely overdone, and it's set in Cecil County. So your agent who doesn't like the Eastern Shore wouldn't like that novel yeah, either. <laughs> we won't pitch that one. <laughs> awesome. Well, I look forward to getting it. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Find us at saltwatermedia.com and on social media. Want to hear more? Just follow along by subscribing on iTunes to hear more Behind the Story Stories. Want other people to hear more? Give us a great review on iTunes. Tell your story.